you are listening to the Grace Capital Church Podcast. Before I get started, every time before that worship team even starts to play, I feel like God says, the atmosphere is changing now. The Spirit of the Lord is here. And then he rushes in. We'll talk about worship right at the end of this message. But the atmosphere has changed. God is near. God is present. That's what this message is all about. And we should give thanksgiving to that, right? Yeah. So let's talk about thanksgiving. It's thanksgiving. And this message today is about giving thanks for the blessings of God, but also, believe it or not, and this is counterintuitive to all of us, giving thanks for the disturbing moments, the difficulties, the trials, the challenges that God places in our lives to grow us up. But as we think about Thanksgiving, do all of you go to a place in terms of, oh, this is my family Thanksgiving, and I want you to go there now. This was my family Thanksgiving growing up. I'd go to Nashua, New Hampshire. I'd go to the house of my Aunt Rose and my Uncle Joe. My Aunt Rose was my mother's Greek sisters. So I'm part Greek. So if you're Greek, don't take offense to this. But Greek sisters get crazy on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Aunt Rose is cooking in the, in the kitchen, and we walk in, she's still in her bathing suit. You can't, it's Thanksgiving. And of course, the other Greek sister is in like a gown, all dressed up. They're very different people. But here's one thing that my Uncle Joe and my Aunt Rose did in Nashua as I was growing up that I didn't understand at the time. Every time we'd come for Thanksgiving, there'd be some stranger at the table. Like, who is this person? I can remember thinking as a kid, why do they have these people here? Why are they at our banquet? Why are they at this celebration that we're having with family? There was one guy who showed up almost every year dear man. His name was Morris. Still, still with us to this day. Aunt Rose and Uncle Joe are, are in heaven right now. Uh, their Thanksgiving is a really good one this year. I can guarantee you this. But he showed up almost year after year, and he became part of the family. And this is what that Thanksgiving was constantly rooted in. These two faithful people bringing in people of need to their home, to share their family, to share their food. And here's what Jesus says about our banquets, about this Thanksgiving. And I want you to think about family promise as I say this. Then Jesus said to his host, and this is Luke 14, 12 through 14. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. And here's the line that should really cause us to think, especially about family promise. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid 
at the resurrection of the righteous. God bless that, right? On December 8th, the week of December 8th, we need 22 people to come in and hold a banquet. We need 22 people to help the homeless, to be there for them. Don't hesitate to make that your second Thanksgiving this year. Or I challenge you, even at your table this year, be like my Uncle Joe and Aunt Rose. Invite some stranger. Maybe invite that one of the 99 who is lost. Don't chase after the 99. Just bring the one in to experience the reckless love of Jesus Christ at your banquet this Thanksgiving. All right, uh, before we go to the message, let's just pray. And I need your prayers for this. This is not the easiest message to give to you at this time, but it's one that God says you give it and you give it now with grace and dignity. God, I just pray you rush in in this moment. Give me strength. Give me power. Let your words be my words. Let your grace fall upon every soul in this church. Let this be a day where your love and your peace and your mercy just rains down upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I want to give you a message about how disturbing moments in our life really define our purpose in Christ. Really difficult thing to experience, right? We love the mountaintops, the blessed moments. I've had many, many in my life. Not a big fan of these disturbing moments, like your vertigo this week. It's just, I can't believe how the worship and the words during worship fit into a message that I never told Pastor Richie about. It's just, it's just amazing to me. We are defined in these disturbing moments. God shakes us to the core sometimes to train us up, to grow us. And we shouldn't push that off. In these moments, I'll tell you what God's doing. He's proving his undeniable love for each one of you. That's what a disturbing moment is about. At Thanksgiving, I can tell you right now, just being really genuine with you, and I'll talk about it in a minute, I've got a real disturbing moment in my life. And when I sit down at that table with my family, I am going to thank God for it. It's going to be a Thanksgiving where I don't say, why me? Ah. Oh, guys, have pity on me. Come over here and please cry with me. No, I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate the strength of my Lord. I'm going to celebrate the strength of my family. I'm going to celebrate that love that's surrounding me that's going to get me through this season. This message has to be really personal. And there are other people who have experienced or are, experienced, or are experiencing exactly what I'm going through. But if it's not personal, you won't learn anything from it. You won't see God. And it's not easy, as I said before, but it's something that I have to be open and transparent with you. First of all, Charlie Temple, this eldest of the elders now, this old man who's standing in front of you, had a charmed childhood. The two best parents that God ever created in this world, full of love and support every step of the way. Wonderful two brothers, 
Men that to this day are the best men in my life, full of humility and integrity, just like my dad. At 17, for some reason, that beautiful woman over there, looking at a 17-year-old punk, me, somehow liked me. And 42 years later, we're still together. That's a miracle, believe me. And then the miracle of my children. My youngest one, Briar, is here today. A son, two daughters. They're now adults, and they are beautiful souls. I love being with my children as adults now. It is such a blessing, straight from above. And then we have four grandchildren. What a blessing. Triplet grandsons, six years old, and a two-year-old daughter who now runs the whole family, <laughs> including her brothers. What a life, right? Now let me give you this date. I've had some blood tests. It's October 29th. I'm walking confidently into my doctor's office. I, I know what some of the results have been. They've been a little high, but not, nothing to, to worry about. And we're in a room. I, di I didn't even bring Kelly. I wasn't concerned at all. We're in a room, and the first thing he says to me that causes some concern, do you have anybody with you? And I said, no. That's not a good sign when you're in a doctor's office, right? So now there's a little wave of butterflies and anxiety. And I, this doctor is great. He's, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he looks at me and he says, you have cancer. And then he takes out a drawing and he draws it out and he says, on the right side, not so much. But then we move to the left side and you've got trouble. You've got a very aggressive, high-risk type of prostate cancer. And the first thing I want to do with you is have a bone scan and a CAT scan to see if it's spread to your spine or any of your other tissues or organs. That's not good news. At this point, I'm calm. Can't believe how calm I am, but I'm also numb. And I'm in a state of shock. I can remember leaving that place, walking out into the parking lot and just saying, Jesus, Jesus. Like Richie said, Jesus, what is, what is happening? And then you have this, I don't worry about myself, but I'm worrying about Kelly. And I have to go home and tell her. I, ha I have to tell my son and my daughters, and that is just such a difficult walk. The doctor speaks to me on October 29th. On October 30th, I take my ride to work. I listen to Pastor David Jeremiah every morning I go to work, 7 o'clock to 7.20. I get five messages a week, and then Pastor Mark or Pastor Ricky or, or Pastor Jorgen on Sunday. Pastor Jeremiah starts off right at 7.01 or 7.02 talking about his horrific battle with cancer 20 years ago. And he says, I wrote a book. It's coming out now. When your world falls apart, seeing past the pain of the present. And then he talks about just how frustrated and he felt like he was forgotten and forsaken and all of that. And then he said, a friend spoke into my life. And it felt to me like that friend was now speaking the words of God 
to me. And here, what the words were. And I write, I write them down in this little book. It's a little dangerous on the road. But this is a book. <laughs> this is a book with a little notepad I found in it after my mom died, and we went through the whole house, and it was clearly a, a notebook that my father kept. So those little notes go in. I try to save it until I get to Nashua so I don't kill anyone on the road, but I write the notes in there. And here's what God spoke to me. I gave this to you. Whoa. You have a divine appointment and purpose. There is no progress in life without pain. I am teaching you. I am training you. In your weakness, I give you my power. My grace is upon you. And he points me to a verse that I just preached on the last time I gave a message. 2 Corinthians 12, and it's verse 9. And this is when Paul is going through a real trial amongst trials. He's been in prison. He's, he's just been persecuted to the nth degree. And here's what Jesus says to him. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul responds. This is his reaction to his trials. His disturbing moments. And they were huge ones. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And immediately, I start thinking about questions I have about cancer. I can't believe I have it, but guess what? I have it. And these words are saying, I gave it to you to give you a divine purpose. So my first question is, what does the Bible say about this hardship? And it's found in Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7, 10 and 11. They may go up on the screen here, but I'll give you the, the highlights. Here's what those verses say. The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And don't think of discipline as, I'm going to spank you, Mr. Temple, and this is how I'm going to do it. It's how he's growing me. It's how he's teaching me. It's how he's training me. It goes on to say, endure hardships as discipline. God is training you as, treating you, excuse me, as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful. And let me just stop there for a minute. I've already been through some tests, and they are, they're, they're not fun. They're really painful. And then when the doctor is explaining the actual surgery, huh, not good. I, he got all done. He was really good at explaining it. And I said, well, basically, you are just abusing me. And he said, exactly. But you'll get over it in six weeks and, and you'll move on with your life. But right now, this is all pretty painful. I'm not lying to you. It is emotionally, physically, but not spiritually. Not spiritually at all, right? 
And here's why, because then God says in these verses, later on, however, and I love this, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hallelujah, I got peace and righteousness coming at me. I just got to go through a few things first. But I got people in place. I got pastors. I got people, this church family. I have my family. I have friends that I didn't even know if they had any faith, and I'm getting text messages about how they're praying for me, and they're headed for church this morning, and they're thinking and praying for me right out of the blue. Just amazing what God is doing. But why do I worry about an end result where I get a bunch of righteousness and peace? To be honest with you, I can't wait. Bring it on. I'm ready to go through this. I'm ready to impact other people as I go through it because there's going to be doctors. There's going to be nurses. There's going to be other people who are going through what I'm going through, sitting in offices. You know what? It's time to have an impact, Mr. Temple. And that's what Jesus is telling me. And that brings us to this. Number two, what is our purpose in all of these hardships? in these trials. What's the whole purpose of this cancer gig I'm in the middle of? Here's what it is. And I go back to Paul, who's in prison, who's trying to be killed by people, who's persecuted. And let's remember who Paul was and that Jesus actually saved him. Paul was the chief of the persecutors. Paul went after Christians with a real strong attack. He advocated for the death of Christians. That's who he was. And then Jesus struck him down on a road and completely changed his life, and he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm doing what Paul's doing. I'm going to boast about my weakness to display the power of Christ in every circumstance. I am done, absolutely finished, with being complacent about my faith. I'm done being shy about it. There's certain people that you just feel like, oh, I better not say anything. Ah, oh, this is not, this is gonna be family rejection. Or this group of friends, they don't wanna hear this. They're gonna hear it. All right. right, they're gonna hear it. When I say cancer, you know what it's followed by? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I say cancer, it's followed by hope. Love, faith, peace, mercy, grace. I could keep going on. It's followed by the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, the Savior. That's why he gave it to me. Too shy, too complacent. Time to get out of that. Time to just throw it out there. It's really easy to throw it out here, up here. It's really easy to talk to you about it. It's not so easy out there. Is it? We all experience that. Time to seize the opportunity. And then question number three. Well, what do you do? What can you do in these disturbing moments? In four real quick things for you. First of all, Psalm 13. David really shows this to us. Pray honestly when you're desperate. Don't be afraid to cry out to the Lord. Don't be afraid to tell him how devastated you are, that you need his help. 
The whole book of Psalms is David doing that. He's got people trying to kill him. Things are going well, then they really are horrible. And at times he's crying out, where are you? I can't find you. Why won't you come to me? And then God comes to him and he expresses his praise and glorifies the God. That's exactly what we need to do. Secondly, don't become frustrated. Don't feel like God has forgotten you. And don't feel like he's forsaking you. This is really powerful. When Jesus was on the cross, if you'll remember, right before he finishes, he cries out, God, why do you forsake me? It's the one time where God just had to turn his back and couldn't see the wrath of the world, all that sin poured out on his son. But also remember, it was followed by, it is finished. Why is it finished? Because he's just given his life for you, 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 you. He's taken on your sin and he's freed you. It's finished. It's done. Here's the really important point of this. God doesn't forsake us. It's not going to happen anymore. Why do you say that? Hebrews 13, 5 says this, and I want you to concentrate on the word never and understand that, what that means. Never is very similar in some ways to forever. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In that, that translation, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's walking with all of us through these disturbing moments. He's near. He's not going to leave. He's not going to forsake me in these circumstances. I can rest on that with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. And then number three, this is an interesting one. We get very caught up in our circumstances. When he was explaining to me the surgery that I'm going to undergo, I have to say I was pretty caught up in my circumstance. I was like, oh, no. But you said this was overnight. Why am I going to go through all of that? And that could do that to me? Oh, no. This is not good for me. Guess who doesn't get caught up in all of that? God doesn't get caught up in our circumstances. He does get caught up in our character. He wants to see how patient I am during this journey. He wants to see how strong I am during this journey. He wants to see if I'm going to share him with others during this journey. So he's real interested in my character, in your character, as you're going through trials like these. And then finally, this is what I, I love. And this is where sort of the worship comes in and what we do here. This temporary sadness I have, it's going to turn into dancing. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm listening to what's going to happen to me and my soul is sighing, that's going to turn into singing. That's going to turn into worshiping. And it's an exciting thing to experience. And then the final question I had, what happens to us in these disturbing moments? What's sort of the end result? And it's funny. I have this written in my Bible. I don't need to go to it since I have it right here. Uh, Isaiah 58, 8, if we can put that up there. This 
is just a wonderful verse. And you'll say, oh, you must have, you know, as the eldest of the elders, you know all these verses. You've memorized the whole Bible. You're so old. You've had so much time. You must have went running right to that, right? You're so full of wisdom. Not at all. I, that, this verse has never struck me until on November 3rd, Kelly received a text from one of her best friends, a former co-worker, who is just a spiritual powerhouse, by the way. And she said, Isaiah 58, 8, there's your answer. And let me just take a little part of that. This is my translation, but it's up there for you. But here's what's going to happen in this trial. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. That's what God has for me, a healing. God had an immediate healing for Richie. We just heard about that. Rhymes with just what's happening here. We're all healed in different ways, but I can tell you this. I am going to be healed. I want to make a point as I, as I conclude here and, and we come back into worship. So if the worship team wants to start coming up, I, I so want to make sure that you realize that this message is not about me at all. It isn't. I'm not giving this message to, to have you pity me. I, I, I don't need your pity. I've already got God in control of this situation. So please don't feel sorry for me. I would love for you to pray for me, but I didn't even give the message for that. It's not about my disease. It's not about your cancer. It's not about that death that just occurred in your family. It's not about that broken relationship. It isn't. Ultimately, it's about how God is going to heal each one of us. And believe me, he is going to heal. And here's another verse that it's, it's strange. Uh, Pastor Jeremiah has brought me to this verse. I know this verse really well. It's kind of my life verse. But it also came into the last message I did. So I hesitated about it. But then I said, no, God wants you to speak this. This is an exhortation a real encouragement, a strong encouragement from God for each one of you, for each day of your life. He's saying this to you when you wake up in the morning. He's saying this to you when you go to work. Hi, Nate. He's saying this to you when you go to bed at night. And many of you know the, these verses very well. It's found in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. Let me read it to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. He reminds us. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving from the Lord. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't have an understanding of why this disturbing moment came into my life on October 29th but I have a very clear understanding of what God wants me to do with it. I've got a divine appointment. Hallelujah. 
I've got a divine purpose. I know exactly what I have to do in this life. I have a mission. And the mission is a very simple one. Just to spread the gospel. It's the great commission, right? And to stop being shy about it. To wear it on my person and to speak it. There's the word that I was given. I think the word is always accompanied by worship. And it's really interesting that as I've embarked on this journey, every morning I want to get up and I want to hear one song. It's probably driving Kelly a bit crazy at this point, but I have to hear it because God is bringing new wine to this person. And we've heard, we hear it sung in the church, whether it's Nikki or Abby, it's just a song that opens up my heart. And the last time I sung as an officiant at a wedding, a Bob Dylan song, I thought it was a great performance. <laughs> it was really good. Forever Young, oh, so good. Uh, Kelly didn't have the same feeling about the performance, and I had to retire as an officiant for a couple years because she was so mortified. Uh, the bride did order me to sing it, and I refused, and she ordered me again, and I said, it's your wedding, I'd be glad to sing it. I'm not gonna sing this song, but I want you to listen to the words. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil, I now surrender. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you and to your careful hand. When I trust you, you don't need to understand. I don't need to understand. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Where there is new wine, there is new power. There is new freedom. And the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. Let's pray. Jesus, in these disturbing moments, all of us cast all of our cares upon you. Let us rediscover our strength through the power of Jesus Christ. Let us take refuge in you, our Lord. There will be triumph over trouble in the days ahead. There is no crisis that's too big for the King of Kings. Thank you, God, for being more present in our times of trouble than you ever are. God, bring new wine out of me. I pray all of this to the glory of the King of Kings. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If this ministry has impacted you and you would like to partner with Grace Capital Church to impact the communities around you, please join us at gccnh.com forward slash partners.